Welcome to Coles on the Coast, the show where we talk about riding the waves of sustainability, preparedness, and living the small homestead life. Today is February 19th, 2023, and this is episode two of Coles on the Coast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Charlie. So today we're going to talk about backyard chickens. The who, what, when, where, why, and how of raising a small backyard flock. Now, as for the why, we've come up with about three reasons. One is for preparation or prepping. Two is sustainability. And three is for fun. Now, in a prepping scenario, having chickens is beneficial because it's a protein source. We're all used to going out and buying beans and rice or milk and bread whenever there's an emergency. But when it comes down to it, protein and fat are two of the most important elements to your diet. And unless you have that, you'll eventually starve to death. So backyard chickens, they produce eggs, they produce meat. Um, and they're easy to reproduce. So as you're going through and eating your chickens and eating your eggs, as long as you have a sustainable flock with roosters and hens, you can maintain that flock. The second reason on why is sustainability. Food waste is a big issue in this country. Um, I'm not sure of the, the actual number, but you know millions of tons a week of food scraps are thrown into landfill. But your chickens can use those food scraps as food, one that reduces your cost of feed from the store, and two that takes all that out of landfill. And under um, sustainability, you also have compost. So the waste that they produce and your shavings from the bedding can go into a composting system and produce compost for a garden. Now three, most importantly, it's for fun. If you don't have fun doing something, it's not worth doing. And for most of the people that grow chickens, the cost of eggs from the store, you know, greatly is a lot less than the cost of feed and everything else for the chickens, you know, dietary supplements, medicines. So it's not really a cost reason, but it's for a fun, depend, you know, depending on yourself kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and to buying your eggs, it feels a little different than knowing that you raised those chickens. You know what the chickens ate what, and, you know, the nutrition level of the eggs and things like that. It's a little bit easier to know. As you, as you raise them yeah. yourself. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these chickens, the eggs that you get nowadays, you've got soy in your feed, you've got corn in your feed, and with people with these allergies, you know, with the allergies becoming a bigger deal, you want to make sure that you're not consuming that, right? And so, if you grow, if you've got those allergies, and you raise your own chickens, you can actually tailor their feed to be more beneficial to you. Mm-hmm. Um, now the important thing with backyard chickens is to make sure that you've got a coop set up before you go and buy your chickens. And, you know, you can have a pre-made coop, you can build one out of wood, you know, as long as it's secured and, and well fortified and gives them a dry place to be. Um, you know, Tractor Supply sells these little pre-made coops for $450. Don't buy that. You know, there's a lot better that you can do with a lot less money. Um, we personally have a dog kennel 
and we took and modified that dog kennel to make a coop. Along with coops, feed and water is also another thing to consider in the how of chickens. You want to make sure that when you set up your coop that you're integrating feeding and watering systems that limit the amount of work that you have to put into it. Because keeping chickens shouldn't be a difficult task, but it's just arranging the tasks and chores of this, you know, of the... It's just integrating the chicken system into how you already run your life, right? I mean, if you've got a well, hooking that up to the well so it automatically water your chickens is a good thing. Um, Setting up a feed system so that you're not having to go out and scoop feed or have, you know, buckets upon buckets or bags upon bags of feed sitting around. All All of these are things to consider. And sometimes you have to do, like, the little water or whatever for a little while, and that's okay, too. It's just you want to make sure when you set your coop and your pin up that you do it in a location that's not going to be overly inconvenient to do those things. So making sure it's somewhere near a spigot or not too awful far, somewhere where you can kind of still keep an eye on those chickens. You wouldn't want to, like, put it in the back 40 of your yard if you you have 40 acres you wouldn't want to put it like super far away from your house or some well or something so um now the type of chicken is also a very important thing now the stereotypical chicken is the cornish chicken it's the white chicken with the red comb and yellow legs now That is a good chicken. That and the Cornish Cross are real good for meat. But if you're looking to get eggs and or meat, both, then you really need a dual-purpose bird, right? So that's Rhode Island Red or Bard Rock, Plymouth Rock, Dominique, um, uh, Australorps are a good one. There are several other varieties that are dual-purpose. Now, are they best for meat? No. Do they all produce the most amount of eggs? No. But in a preparedness and sustainability backyard chicken flock, if you cycle through your chickens, like you have a a two-year laying period for your hens, and then you take and slaughter them and use them for meat, well, then you're getting the best of both worlds. Your chicken's not going to be tough when you go to eat it, and you're going to get a good production of eggs out of that. Now, you could probably go three years because a chicken lays about 1,200 eggs in its lifetime. And most of these dual-purpose breeds lay 300 to 350 eggs a year. So right around three years is going to be that kind of cutoff point for the chickens. Now, we we're mentioning this, but we do have yet to actually do this. But that's something that we're... in integrating into our systems now the chickens that we want to eventually get because right now we've got bard rocks rhode island reds black sex links california tans and easter egger but we want to move into getting american breast chickens now these are very particular chickens they lay a good 325 eggs a year or so and they're fantastic for meat Um, the chickens have nearly a full body of dark meat and it's very rich in flavor and 
in France where these chickens come from, they feed them a diet of corn and milk, and it basically becomes like a Wagyu of chicken, right? It's very rich and creamy. And from what I understand, these chickens are fantastic. They taste delicious. They do well in the heat, and they lay a good bit of eggs. So it seems like the best dual-purpose breed. I'm pretty excited about starting them. Because I think they even have a, a slow... Uh, their grow-out period is not quite as long as regular dual-purpose. They put on a good bit of weight um, fairly quickly. But yeah, those, those are going to be the ones that we eventually go into. We, we incubated a bunch of eggs, and we proved the point that we could incubate successfully, so now we can invest in maybe moving the flock towards this direction. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I did look up our little mixed breed or barnyard mix that we created and I say created I hate using that word it's, we weren't really creating but the incubation that we were doing and it the research that I the quick research that I did was that Easter egger chickens can be pretty docile pretty good temperament and can get to be pretty big chickens too so I'm interested to see how that plays out because we did end up with eight roosters and ten hens I think if we sex them correctly. So, I mean, I don't know if we'll eat most of those roosters or not, but I'm sure we'll try some at least. So it'll be interesting to see how the meat is for those birds versus the others. Now, and another important, a couple other important things to consider with the what and what type of chickens to get. And like Jessica mentioned, um, docile chickens. You want to make sure that your temperament of your chicken fits well with your family because if you have a lot of kids you don't really want to have a Rhode Island red rooster running around because he'll run up and attack the kids no problem but like barred rocks and uh, I mean even this Easter egger that we have they tend to be more docile and gentle um, so that's something that's also something to consider as well as climate because you don't want a chicken that's not heat tolerant in the south and you don't want a chicken that's not cold tolerant in the north so that'll that'll change the type of chicken you want so like dominiques they're more cold tolerant because they came in to plymouth rock and the plymouth rock chickens which are actually a subtype of the dominiques they're more heat tolerant because they were bred to be you know easier to mass produce and easier to take care of. So they're more heat tolerant. So they're a good breed for down here on the Gulf Coast. So you got to take that into consideration when you go to buy your chickens. Now, when are you supposed to do all this? Well, if you're going to do meat chickens, right, you want to make sure that you're buying your biddies at a time of year that when 16 weeks occurs after you've purchased them, it's not in the middle of the summer it's not in the freezing cold winter because you want to you want to be able to time these chickens so that you can harvest them when it's nice outside. I mean, if you're going to do it yourself, if you're going to take them to a processor, then it doesn't matter. But if you're going to be outside slaughtering 10, 20 chickens in the middle of a 100 degree heat with flies, it's not a very good thing. <laughs> Mosquitoes here. <laughs> 
Can you imagine being stuck by some of these mosquitoes around here while slaughtering a chicken? No. I'd, <laughs> and I'd, kids running around in the yard? No, I don't want to ever see that. <laughs> and with egg-laying chickens, if you're going to keep from having a molt cycle, right? So let's say you start with a group of chickens. They lay eggs for a year. Then you start another group of biddies. By the time the biddies are big enough that next year to lay eggs, then your other chickens should be in their molt. So that way you've got this cycle going and you've always got chickens that are laying eggs rather than having a molting season where you don't have any eggs during the summer and then you don't have eggs in the winter. Mm -hmm. So if you can cycle that in, then you're going to maximize the amount of eggs that you can get per year. Um, you also got to consider whether or not there's a need. Mm -hmm. Right. If you if you're only eating six eggs a week. There's no need to go buy six chickens and have a backyard flock for right? eggs for eggs. Yes, exactly. Um, you know, that six dollar dozen of eggs at the store now. Is not nearly anything compared to. Sixty, seventy dollars a month raising chickens. Right. Is it. You just have to make sure that you're going to use what you've got. Yeah. And because especially if you're like trying to do like tractor supply feed, which is a whole nother ball game and a whole nother conversation. But if you're not really sourcing that feed, it can get very pricey very fast. Yeah. Tractor supply right now, I think the Purina stuff is like $19 for a 40 pound bag. And we go a little bit up the road and get it for 15 some dollars for a 50 pound bag of some good high quality stuff. But you know, most people aren't going to take the time and effort to look and try to source good quality food. They're just going to take and get what they can get, right? And that doesn't always work out in your favor price-wise. Now, um Jessica, do you want to talk about how we got started doing all this? I know we went through and just told everybody the things that they need to consider, but uh to be honest, I don't think we considered a lot of this stuff when we originally started. Sure. So when we first got started, we built our little fenced-in area, and we had a coop delivered from Tractor Supply. I think you got, like, a really good deal on it that year, actually. Yeah, it was $150 or something. It, it, it was the older model, and it was on sale, and I saw it online and bought it on a whim, basically. So, I mean, the good thing about it was it was quick, because we, we might have actually already bought the, chick, the chicks. I'm not sure. It was really close in time to each other. But you found it, you bought it, we put it up, and we bought six chicks. We, you know, they were sweet little barred rock chickens, um, and they all survived. We thought for sure we'd lose two when they were little bitties, but no, they all survived, <laughs> and we ended up with these six chickens, um, although after a few months of them being grown and laying eggs, slowly but surely... We had some sort of problem, and um, we had something getting in at night and snatching the neck off and just taking the neck. And so we were like, it's either a raccoon, or my grandfather was like, it might even be a weasel, which I didn't, I didn't realize then that we could have had weasels in that area. But one of the two things were getting our chickens, and it brought us down. Eventually, we were down to one chicken, or no, before the one chicken. We, we had two chickens left, and then we had what we called the rogue chicken that kept getting out of its coop. And we weren't sure how she was doing it, but she was. She would get out of the coop 
and she'd run around, and eventually she just never came home. Mm-hmm. So we only had the one chicken, and you don't want to have just one chicken. That's just sad and solitary. So we ended up giving that one chicken to my dad, and he got him a few chick- chickens from other people. And um, we, so he raised the chickens at that point, and that's about the time we were transitioning to move here. So it, it was a good, it was a good time for us to take a break. But with all of that, with our chickens. You know, we didn't really consider temperament or anything. So when we brought dad's chickens back here to our new house, we we kind of took them back over for him because he was tired of them or whatever. It was two Rhode Island Reds and the Bard Rock, and they were older. And then we got 12 chickens of different types. We had two Easter Eggers, two California Tans, two Black Sex Links, and some Bard Rocks. I think it was... I don't remember how many of those. Anyway... So several different ones, and we ended up having some issues, chicken drama, and some of them were picking on the others, they were pecking each other real bad, um, not all of them, but the, it was kind of, they would pick on the runts, and if any of them had any issues, one of them hurt its neck or something, and they kept picking at it really bad, that kind of thing. So just know, if you get in the chickens, there will be a little bit of drama sometimes, and you have to take care of it, but um, when we... We already talked about how we set up that pin and stuff, and that's worked really good for us. But we've also had um, issues, such as our first issue, where um, we had a chicken that was molting. And not long after that chicken started molting, all of a sudden, the neighbor's dog jumps over our fence. And Charlie, you were home when that happened. No, I wasn't home when it happened. We drove up in the the van i brought the kids home and we got out and adelaide saw in the backyard there was a dog and went to screaming that there was a dog in the backyard and the neighbor's dog had jumped over the fence apparently and had the bard the molting bard rock in its mouth and i didn't know what to do like i got the kids in the house and i went to find in where that dog was at and the dog was underneath the wood pile or underneath our lean-to, where all the firewood sits, eating this chicken, or so I thought. And I eventually scared the dog back over the fence, and turns out, I mean, we thought the chicken, I thought the chicken had been eaten, right? Turns out, no, he had just eaten her tail off, basically. So then we had this zombie chicken walking around the yard for a couple days until she finally died. It was so sad. Which... I was hoping that we could have nursed her back to health, but no, she just, she was too far gone. Um, but we've also had where the the two Rhode Island Reds, they were mean to the little chickens when we finally incorporated them into the flock. And it's turned around on them. One of them's dead now because they pecked her to the point. I think she actually had dropsy. So she was going to die anyway. But they were kind of chasing her around. She broke her leg. We processed her, trying to use her, and then found out she was full of fluid. So she must have had dropsy or something. No good. And then the other one, they still, they'll chase her. They'll see her across the yard and run after her. The rooster and all the hens. All the docile and sweet hens run after this chicken and try to attack her. So she's become our little rogue chicken. Or we call her rogue. She's not really rogue. We just let her roam around. 
She doesn't sleep in the coop with the rest of them. She goes and finds her own spot. She sleeps where she wants to. And she's gone through a molting period. Yeah, she did. But she started the molting period around the same time that they tore her comb up. And we had to do chicken surgery on her. So that's when actually the children have named her Bruzy. So that's her affectionate name is Bruzy. Our little Bruzy chicken runs around with half of a comb. <laughs> it's kind of sad. But she's starting to look a lot better now. I think she's actually going to pull through pretty good. Yeah. And she's gotten where most of her feathers are coming back. She's kind of spry. She's figured out how to get on the back porch again. And Yeah. Now, on the other side of the deal, right, you've got chicken drama and then you've got you know, little chickens. And we recently took and incubated 20 eggs. And we've gotten 18 of them to hatch so far. We've got two more. We're leaving them in the incubator for a few more days just to see if for some reason they were just slow to develop. Most likely they just dried out. But um, we should have, what, 10 hens and yeah. 8 roosters. We, we tried to, to sex them by looking at their wings because apparently you can compare the two rows of feathers and if they're longer feathers with shorter ones, they're hens, and if the feathers are all the same, then they're roosters. So we'll have, you know, 18 chickens to incorporate in the flock. Part of them we'll get rid of or eat, and the rest of them will be there to supplement what we already have and take the place of the older ones that are aging out. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's not a whole lot to it, right? You feed your chickens, you make sure they got water, you take care of them, keep the hawks and stuff out. Mm -hmm. That can be harder some places than others. There's a lot of hawks around here, but so far, other than the one hawk that was stalking for a day, the rooster did act like he was going to try to take care of everybody. He was trying to look at, look mean at the hawk for a little while. I don't know how good that was going to do, but they quickly got in the pen. And, you know, we probably should mention this too. We've pinned them up in in the pen in order to keep them out of the garden. We did put a fence around the garden. And a lot of people have asked us why we don't clip the chicken's wings. But Charlie's biggest concern is the dog next door. If the dog gets over, will they be able to get away if we clip their wings? So that's something we're talking about and trying to figure out. Well, because it, it's kind of the same thing with do you declaw a cat, right? You An indoor cat, you can declaw because he doesn't need it as a defense. If you take a declawed cat and you put him outside, the, the chance that they will die from something happening outside where they can't defend themselves increases. So if we clip their wings with a predatory animal across the fence, does that increase her chance of having a massacre flock? That's all That's all I worry about. Yeah. Now, our chicken coop that we have currently, we hand-built. We've got two little stories. One, there's a bottom story with a couple of nesting areas, and then there's a top story that's just mainly open. But we have it within a dog kennel, one of these 10 by 10 four-panel dog kennels. And that gives the chickens a little bit of room to play once you've taken them out of the coop. We put a nice little roof that we um, built out of some scrap materials that I picked up from a job site. So they're nice and well, you know, well covered from the elements in there. 
but we're going to look to expand to something, right? Right. Because they definitely need more room, especially once we add all the other chicks with them. Because since they're in timeout for eating the garden, I don't... It's really, at least in my view, it's difficult to try to put a fence and netting around your garden. So if we're going to keep the chickens with their wings unclipped, it's easier just to make their area bigger. And from what I understand, they make like chain link uh, chicken runs or something like that that we can add to this. You know, get another dog kennel pen that's kind of open, put some netting over the top so that the hawks and stuff can't get in. But then, you know, you're still closing them up in the coop. They've got a covered area that they can stay dry in if it's raining. And then they've got this nice little section. And then if we build a couple runs off, one on each side, we can have one that's open until they eat all the grass and open the other one. They can eat grass on that side, but yeah. this one shut down. So we can cycle through. Right. And that way they've always got a little bit of greenery to eat too. We could even plant some yeah. too to make sure that it grows. I think... In this one spot, there's just a little bit more dirt than I wish there would be for them. Especially if they're going to go into the sugarcane area. Well, we've got we've got all this sand here, right? And so once they eat the grass, it's just mainly sand. Um, Which is uh, it's kind of a good thing, though, because the kind of ground we have, we haven't had to worry too much about adding oyster shell, I've noticed. Like, that hadn't been an issue. I wonder if it's because of our soil and our sand. They've got plenty of little rocks and stuff. And that's that's mainly what it is. The oyster shells, the calcium supplement. But we feed them, we feed them their own eggshells, right? We do, yes. We take and we crush them up and feed the the eggshells. That way they get get a nice calcium boost. And because there's little pebbles, you don't really need the oyster shell because yeah. it kind of acts as a like a grit and a calcium supplement. Now I want to comment on something that I mentioned earlier, and that has to do with compost. You know, once you've rucked out all of the, the bedding and the poop and everything, one, it, it's smelly, and two, um, you got to figure out how to compost it correctly so that when you use the compost, it doesn't burn your plants. Because, like, with straight manure, you it has such a high nitrogen content in it that it will actually burn the roots of your plants and kill your plants. So, there's a thing called a Johnson Sioux reactor and well the one that I have in mind is a simplified version but basically you take um, like a cattle panel or nice hardware cloth and you create a, a five foot by three foot wide cylinder and then you run down in the middle to two inch PVC pipes. Then you can, with holes drilled in it. Then you can fill that up with your chicken manure waste bedding. And it creates an aerobic, oxygen filled environment for the compost to occur. And so there's two things that happen to that. One, it kills pathogens in the compost or in the poop. And two, it helps you get the nitrogen levels down and maintain as much of that um, material as you have. Because if you slow compost, all of that material shrinks and you end up with a little bit of soil at the very end. But if you do this hot composting method, you end up with a lot more compost and a lot richer 
mm-hmm. medium. So that's something to consider. Don't just go take and dump the chicken poop onto your garden because it's gonna it's gonna burn it up and ruin it. But you you want to get rid of it somehow because burying it in the backyard is kind of difficult and it stinks, right? You don't just want to leave it sitting. So a good composting system makes it a whole lot better in that regard. I do have a, ch- a question about that though. So some people put their chicken coop in one spot and then over winter they'll move it and have them in another spot so they can have their garden ready for the next year. Do they have to do something on top of that or do they just leave it and let it sit for that, I don't know, is it six months or a year or something? Yeah, you, you'd you move it during the winter so that, well, you time it out so that you move it and allow all that stuff to kind of rot and go away because at that point it's thin, it's with your grasses and whatnot. So you shouldn't have too much of an issue. I don't know. If it's over a larger area, it's not quite as bad. Like, so your victory gardens, right? You had the coop in the middle, and then you'd have one side be a garden, the other side be a garden. And the chickens are out there pooping all over this whole area, and it's gradually going into the ground over time. It's not the same as the material you're pulling out of the coop, Mm -hmm. because that's a large amount of material in one spot. And that's a lot harder to spread out and mitigate in a short amount of time. Gotcha. So I think that covers it. I don't know. We may have left some details out somewhere. Um, but sure at some point we'll come around to it again. Yeah. We, I mean, of course, we'll probably revisit this many times. Um, but, you know, if you've got questions or comments or anything. Suggestions? Yeah. Comment on our uh, blog, the, the website, colesonthecoast.com. You know, we post these podcasts, and there, there's an area at the bottom of the screen where you can leave a comment. You know, feel free. You can email us at colesonthecoast at protonmail.com with questions or comments or anything. You know, we'll read them all. Um, but, yeah, just keep listening. We hope you enjoy it, and you all have a great week.